Hi. Hi. Hey, my name is Matt. Um, I'm one of the young adults here at Rivers. I'm also part of the, uh, the youth leadership team. Um, and yeah, I guess I've been given the opportunity today to come up here and share with you guys um, just something that I feel like God's been teaching me this year um, that I want to share with you guys. Um, and I thought I was also bringing a bit of my testimony, which was actually involved with um, how I became a youth leader and that journey um, along with that. So. Um, you're stuck with me for about 20 to 30 minutes, um, so I hope something I share today helps you guys. Um, so my very first youth camp as a leader, um, I was in year 10, I was 15 years old. My sister Lauren invited me along to come. It was a summer camp, about 100 kids, um, and I was pretty stoked. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go along, I'm just going to chill, got some senior leaders going to take care of me, no worries. Um, that camp just so happened to land on the same week as the 2011 floods back in January. Um, and we get there, and it's like pouring down rain. I remember following um, Jared's car up. Um, Lauren was driving, and we couldn't even see his car. We like, get there, and um, one of the directors, Emma, was like, okay, so I'm the only director here. The rest of the directors can't come, and we have about half our leaders. So, Matt, you're going to have to take care of about five kids in year four for the like, rest of the week by yourself. I was just like, cool. All right. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I've got this. You know, um, it turned out to be a really awesome week. Uh, me and two other leaders who were both first time, we joined together in our groups. We made this like mega group and like dominated all week. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I continued on. That was my first camp. Um, wouldn't be my last. Um, but it wasn't until my very first gents camp um, in 2014, I was out of high school where I actually decided to take my faith seriously for the first time in my life. I'd always grown up believing in God and I'd grown up in a Christian home, but at that point, at this camp, I decided to make it my own. I took ownership of my faith. It was my parents' faith now. It was Matt's faith. Um, and the reason why I did that, there was this um, balding, mid-late 30s guy jumping up on stage for Jesus and was preaching the gospel, and he meant it. You could tell. And he was serious about what he was doing. I was like, man, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Do I have a clicker? Can I get a clicker? I don't have a clicker. Um, but yeah, and so I was a part of a... Uh, a church in Ipswich called Whitehill Church of Christ. Um, it's a pretty beautiful church. Um, Will, can you click to the next slide? No, the, the first one there. Yeah. This bad boy. Um, so these are the three boys, um, Harry, Lockie, and Jared, um, who are all 10 and have abs for some reason. And there's me in the middle, um, you know, full of sin and full short of the glory of God right there. Um, and these three guys were in my dorm um, at this gents camp and they were part of the, the catalyst that helped me go there's actually something more to this actually something more to this whole, this whole Christianity thing um, and I continued my journey with Whitehill until um, this moment which is a photo at the end of Hughes camp last year um, back in 2017 and it was the, the last event I did with Whitehill as a part of the Whitehill family and from there I moved up here to Rivers became a part of the Rivers family an awesome family uh, became one of the youth leaders here as well. Um, and I got to begin life with some of these guys, Callum, Connor, and Lockie. Um, this is top of Mount Biwa. This is part of the, the, the journey and the trajectory that I've kind of been on. And it's interesting to think that way back, it was just my sister invited me along to a camp. Um, I think she's invited me because I was really lazy and always played Xbox, and she's wanted me to get some friends. She invited me out into the real world. But that invitation led me to this point where I am here today. And um. A friend of mine, his name's Doug, and he shared this quote with me um, quite a few years ago on another gents camp. Doug's awesome. If you ever meet Doug, he'll probably share at least one of like three C.S. Lewis quotes he just loves. 
Uh, and he shared this one quote, which has summed up sort of the thought pattern I went through um, to get here. And he said, if false, Christianity is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. This is a quote by C.S. Lewis. And what C.S. Lewis is saying here, he's saying, you know, if Christianity isn't true, if it was just made up by a bunch of dudes who are trying to get rich quick maybe, or they're just trying to like convince a bunch of people to join their, their weird following, and it's not true, then it's just, it's just not important. Like, if it really isn't the only path to heaven through Jesus, if that's fake, then like, like what's the point? Like, what's the, what's the point? I've been on about 30-something youth camps now, and I worked it out. It's about like between six and $9,000. Um, that I've spent, like, that's not my parents paying for that. And I was like, that's like a third of like a house deposit. Like, that's, that's a lot of money today, especially to a millennial who loves his Avo. Um, but if it's, if it's not true, if it's false, there's no point. There's no point me spending time or anyone else spending time preparing a sermon to get here and talk about if it's fake. But if it's true, if Christianity is true, and there really was a man called Jesus who came and lived a perfect and sinless life, who died on the cross so that he might be able to take our punishment for our sin and that he might rise again, proving that he has power over death, proving that we are free from sin and free from death and that in him we can have resurrection of life and have eternal life with him forevermore, then it's the most important thing you could possibly commit your time to. Not only that, Jesus himself said, like, it's not just about eternity, it's about now too. You can have a relationship with the Father now. I've made that way possible that you might have life and life to the fullest. But as C.S. Lewis said, what it can't be, it just can't be moderately important. It can't be just a part of our life that we kind of do on a Sunday or maybe at Christmas time. You know, it can't be just like every now and then when life gets tough, we share up a prayer to God hoping that he might answer it. It can't be that. Because if it's true, then here's your one true source of joy. Here's your path to, to true life and purpose and meaning. If it's true, if there is a heavenly father, then that's where our identity comes from. And if we don't place importance on that, then we're going to go through this life with some real struggles. So in the midst of this, I felt there was this message that God was starting to send to me. I had all these questions and I've had all these doubts and I've been kind of like wrestling with it. And God has actually opened up an invitation for each of us to come and talk with him, come and have conversation with him. He's given us access to his throne room that through prayer we might be able to talk to him and present our, our questions and our requests to him. In fact, there's this verse in the book of Isaiah where God says to Isaiah, he says, you know, this is almighty God, creator of the universe, says to little lowly Isaiah, he says, hey, come, let us reason together. Like, you're God. <laughs> like reason together like as if there's like, no, you're God. Like you set the precedent, I obey, right? And God's like, no, come, let's have a conversation. Let's have a chat about this. And so, um, this is the message that I've felt on my heart this year, something that God's been teaching me, that I can come and actually have a conversation with God. I can ask questions. That's okay. I can also come and, and wrestle over these topics, these ideas of like, you know, we just had the, um, an abortion bill legalized and lots of people are throwing their opinions about. I'm like, God, I, where do I stand on this? How do I love people through this? You know, what about all these other issues going around the world? You've got like left-wing and right-wing people and there's like people pushing for um, a white, Australia policy again and you're like what like God how do I love these people and, and is engaging in this wrestling and so there's um, a story in the book of Genesis so if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone it's Genesis chapter 32 it'll be up on the screen I'm, I'm going to read it for you guys but this message comes through through this story 
So it says, during the night, Jacob got up and began moving his two wives, his two maids and his eleven sons across the Jabbok River at the crossing. After he sent his family across the river, he sent across everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man came and wrestled with him. The man fought with him until the sun came up. When the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, he touched Jacob's leg and put it out of joint. Then the man said to Jacob, let me go, the sun is coming up. But Jacob said, I will not let you go, you must bless me. And the man said to him, what is your name? Jacob said, my name is Jacob. Then the man said, your name will not be Jacob, your name will now be Israel. I give you this name because you have fought with God and with men and you have won. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And the man said, why do you ask my name? Then the man blessed Jacob at that place. So Jacob named the place Peniel. He said, at this place I saw God face to face, but my life was bad. And the sun came up as Jacob left Peniel. He was limping because of his leg. So even today, the people of Israel don't eat the muscle that's on the hip joint because this is a muscle where Jacob was hurt. So story starts, it's pretty normal. His family's crossing it. He's just gone across, no worries. And then it just kind of gets pretty weird. This man just comes up and starts just wrestling Jacob. And then they're wrestling this like morning now. Like he's been wrestling all night. And then he like touches his leg and his hip goes out of joint. And then he you know, asks like what his name is and blesses him. And then you're like, hang on, what's happening here? And at the end here, you find out Jacob's like, I saw God face to face. So now it's not a man, but it's God. You know, a lot of um, scholars and people have written about this, have debated over it. Was it God? Was it just an angel? Most of them agree it's God. So here's God in the flesh as a man, wrestling with Jacob to bless him. This is the part that becomes really, really interesting. He said this, your name will now be Israel. I give you this name because you have fought with God. And now, in this context, in, in the original Hebrew, which this book used to be written in, um, this name Israel has a really wonderful meaning. The meaning is this, he who contends with God, or he who wrestles with God. And this is a really powerful statement, because here's God in the flesh, naming Jacob this name Israel, which we know then becomes God's people. God's people are Israel. And that name literally means the people who wrestle with God. God himself gives them this name. And as then we see the story of Israel unfolds through the Old Testament, we see them wrestling with God. We see one generation comes to this truth and they come to this point and they worship God. But then another generation comes and they wrestle with it, but then they kind of like just like give up and they're like, I don't care about you anymore, God. And then there's this chaos and there's destruction and there's injustice all throughout Israel. And so from this story, I want to encourage you guys with, with three points. Three things. First one is, it's okay to doubt. And now I want to be really careful here and I want to be really, really clear. When we doubt, but we decide not to do anything with the doubt and we just let it sit. And then um, I talked to my friend Margie the other day, um, our friend Margie, part of this church, and she said it's kind of like apathetic doubt. Apathetic meaning I don't care or I've given up. This apathetic doubt only leads to one place. When we have our doubt and we no longer do anything with it and we just let it sit, it will always lead to spiritual death. If we don't do anything with that doubt and we just let it sit, it'll lead us to a place where our faith will die because we'll become angry, we'll become confused and frustrated with God and we'll just blame it on him and we'll just leave it. But then there's this man called Augustine of Hippo or known as um, St. Augustine. And he said, doubt is a fundamental element of faith. And what he meant was when we have doubt, but then we then approach God about it or we search the scriptures or we talk to our friends who might be 
um, more well learned and we ask them and we seek after the truth, when we come through that doubt and we come to an understanding of what the truth is, our faith grows and develops. And our understanding of who God is and His ways and what His scriptures mean, we come to a place of better understanding. So it's okay to doubt, but what's really important is what do you do with that doubt? If you let that doubt sit, I guarantee it will lead you to a place of apathy and frustration and, and confusion. But if you have this doubt and you go, I'm not sure how this fits up. Maybe you've read one part in the Bible and then you've read this other part in the Bible and you're like, they contradict. Like, what's going on here? Over here, God's angry. Over here, he's like the nicest guy in the universe. Um, you know. But when we, when we seek that, when we wrestle with it, we come to a place of greater understanding and deeper faith. So doubt, you could say, is like spiritual wrestling. What's really important here is what you do with the doubt. The second thing, it's, it's okay to ask questions. There's one of, most, one of the most legendary um, heroes of Israel. It's King David. King David was this man who defeated Goliath. You might have heard that story before. He became this king who then led Israel into um, an age of um, prosperity. Um, his son, King Solomon, would come along and even take that even further, and it's wonderful. But then King David also wrote half the Psalms. And half these Psalms are poems written literally questioning God. There's times in David's life where, where David went through like literally hell on earth where he was being hunted down by his king who was jealous. And you know, he, he even said, like, his David who like, saved Israel from defeat, and now his king was like, hunt him down and kill him like a dog. And, and David is freaking out. And he's like, God, like, you sent your prophet Samuel. He anointed me. He told me I'm going to be king. Now I'm being hunted. Where are you? Have you abandoned me? Have you forsaken me? Have you left me? Are you even there? And this is David, King David. And he's just like questioning God, and he's angry, and he's frightened, and he's afraid. This is okay, because God understands. God has empathy, and his son Jesus lived in this world, and he felt that too. He felt that on the cross. It's okay to ask questions, but the important part is the heart behind our questions. Seeking God in the midst of this. A lot of us have gone through some really difficult times, particularly these last few years in this church. Um, even now, some of my friends in Ipswich are really suffering. One of our friends have died tragically. And there's lots of questions and frustrations, but God is available and he's there. And he wants us to come with our questions and ask him. The first point, it's okay to doubt. What's important is what you do with the doubt. And it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to seek the truth. It's okay to not understand, but it's the heart behind it. Seeking the truth. Your heart has to be for the truth. Otherwise, you won't find it. And this is the third point. Jesus is the truth. All things were made by God, and Jesus is God. In the midst of all of this, he knows all things. He knows you, and he loves you. He cares for you, and he died for you. And so in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our questions, Jesus is actually calling us to him. At the end of it all, all these questions are kind of like big arrows pointing ourselves to Jesus. And ultimately for this, the most important thing for a Christian is what our foundation is. Jesus has to be our foundation. And what I mean by that is that his life, his death and resurrection have to be fundamental things that we hold on to, things that we believe. Because if we don't believe that, we have a shaky foundation. Like, what do you really stand on if there's no Jesus? Without Jesus, Christianity is, as C.S. Lewis said, it'd be, it'd be false. There'd be no heart behind it. There'd be no truth to it. Because Jesus is the truth. And so as a Christian, 
um, or even, even to anyone here tonight, there's three things I want you to remind you of. And that's, it's okay to doubt, but what's important is what do you do with that doubt? It's okay to ask questions, but what's important is the heart behind the questions and seeking the truth. And Jesus is that truth. So seek after Jesus. There's some practical things you can do. First one is if you're not already plugged into a local church, find one and be plugged in. Be plugged into community. It's really important. Especially if you go through hard times, it's really important to have friends. It's important to have friends that feel a lot like family too. Which for me, it's rivers. It's these people here. It's these people who bring Audi lasagnas and baguettes every Sunday and we have potlucks together. This is my family. Second of all, I encourage you, find some, Christ, some Christian friends that you can bring these questions, you can bring these doubts to. That you can go, hey, I, I read this the other day and it was weird. Can, like, can you help shed some light on it? My third encouragement, pray. Pray to God. You know, Jesus himself, he even says this to his, his followers. He says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And he says, you know, who of you who are sinners, if your son or your, your, your daughter asks you for a loaf of bread, would give him a snake? Of course not. If your child asks you for a loaf of bread, you'd give him a loaf of bread. Therefore, if your God, if your God, your, your heavenly Father is perfect, how much more will He give you? And he, God also says this. He says this. He says, "If you seek My face, it will shine upon you." So pray and present your requests to God, and God will answer. My fourth, my fourth point is, read the Bible. You might hit a point that gets really confusing, and you go, "This doesn't make any sense." But as you keep on reading, more things connect together. The Bible I've heard explained like this. It's kind of like a big spider's web where you've got like all these strands of web flying everywhere, bits sticking in here, and sometimes it doesn't really make any sense. But as we start to learn where the strands are going, we see the bigger picture. Be plugged into a local church. Find some awesome, solid Christian friends. Pray and read the Bible. Yeah, that's pretty much my message. Um, we're going to leave from here into a time of communion.